All right, well, we're going to just jump into the Word this morning. If you have a Bible with you, turn into Galatians 5. Turn to Galatians 5. We're going to be in that chapter quite a bit today and weaving in some other sections of Scripture, but we're going to be in Galatians 5 quite a bit. Uh, We've been on a series for the last four weeks. Today we're concluding that series. It'll be the fifth week about freedom in Jesus, about deliverance, about people receiving victory and freedom through what Jesus did for us on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and the shedding of his blood, he did not just die so we could get to know him and go to heaven one day. He died so that we could walk like he did. He died so that we can receive from him the very life of God in our beings and not just survive, but thrive in our lives. To walk in the freedom that he paid for, uh, from freedom from sin, freedom from death, hell, the grave. We, We are meant to walk in victory and freedom in Jesus. Amen. And we've been talking a lot about different aspects of that. One, we have an enemy. There's an enemy. There's the devil and his demons who hate you, who want to destroy your life, and that want to get you into sin and bondage and get you into believing lies, either about God, about yourself, or about other things, and cause you to no longer be effective and to be neutralized in your walk with Jesus. And God has paid a high price for our freedom so that we don't walk into bondage. Uh, We've talked about no longer allowing the things that we we kind of tolerated in our lives, in a sense, to trash and garbage that that we no longer are meant to have. We're we're not meant to turn that garbage into a decoration in our lives. We're meant to give it to Jesus, to, to, to leave it with him, and no longer carry it with us anymore. We've talked about that Christians can be in bondage through sin, through lies that we believe, and that Jesus has given us a plan. He's given us a direction to go, that through confession, through repentance, through renouncing lies, freedom can come. And many of you have received that freedom. Many of you have responded to altar calls. Many of you have met with different pastors and different people and and, and gone through uh, deliverance, gone through confession and freedom, and, and you have experienced freedom in your lives. And now you're walking into a whole new realm of life, a whole new place in life, and it's like, okay, now what? How do I stay free? And so today we're going to talk about how to stay free. How to walk out your freedom. Freedom can come in an instant, but freedom can also be a journey and a process that you walk in as you are being more and more transformed to be like Jesus. And so we're going to talk about some of the best ways for you to stay free today. I have two simple yet profound and powerful points for you today. I think we can do two points. Amen? We can do it. We, we might not get through point one because it's so good, but we're going we're gonna to try uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, you should, you should be in Galatians 5 for sure by now. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You've been, you've been given freedom. Don't go back into bondage. Plain and simple. Galatians 5.13 says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You were called to be free. We use this verse at the very beginning of this series. You were called to be free. Jesus died so that you could walk in freedom in him. Therefore, when you receive that freedom, it doesn't give you a license just to do whatever you want now. Because of that freedom, you are to live a life totally surrendered and focused on Jesus and doing what he asks you to do. And you'll stay free. In Luke 11, 
So keep your, keep your, your finger in Galatians 5, because we'll come back there. But if you want to turn to Luke 11, and Luke 11, Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about deliverance. He's talking about people getting set free from demonic spirits, and he is describing some different aspects of that. And in verse 24, Jesus says, when an impure spirit, when a demonic spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Jesus talked a lot about the demonic. It's real. We've talked about this before, but this is not made-up fantasy. This is real. There is a real enemy out there that wants to destroy your life. And then it goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say, then it says, I will return to the house I left. I want to stop for a moment. So again, demonic spirits are fallen angels. They have to have a place, something or someone that they attach themselves to. And so here Jesus is describing that, and then he says, I will return to the house. What is he speaking of? God, throughout Scripture at different points, talks about our lives as a house, as a temple. We are, in a sense, a place where the Spirit of God can reside, but also the demonic can reside as well. And so he's saying here, I'm going to go back to the house I left. When the demonic spirit arrives there, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. This is a picture of freedom. This is a picture of deliverance, where someone has received freedom from Jesus, and their house, and then since their soul, their life is all of a sudden put into order. But it, it's empty. It says, then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. And I wanted to share this with you because the Holy Spirit needs to come and take up residency in any vacated area of our house. When the enemy comes back, so this scripture paints the picture that when you receive freedom, the enemy does not like it. It does not like losing ground. It does not like losing territory. And so it is going to come and make its way back and say, will they let me back in? Can I come back? I'm coming knocking. Is there a vacancy sign or a no vacancy sign on your house? Because you have allowed the Holy Spirit to come and fill every area that left. <laughs> Where, when, when the enemy leaves, there's in a sense of a void, a gap, a hole. Now will you let God come fill that? Or is it just staying empty and then the enemy comes back and goes, Oh, it's empty. There's enough room for me and seven of my buddies. I'm coming back. Do you have a vacancy or no vacancy sign on your house? Number one point on how to stay free. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. The number one way. Point number one, and like I said, I don't know if we're going to get past point number one. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. The infilling of the Holy Spirit. The baptism itself, the word baptism means immersion. It means a full submersion, immersion. A full filling, covering. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is meant to be a filling of your being, your soul, your spirit, with His Spirit. When we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we enter into salvation. The Holy Spirit comes and begins a residency in our lives. But then now becomes an infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit where we are immersed in his presence and in his spirit. And we are meant to be in that and have that and keep that full all the time. It's not meant to be a one-time occurrence. It's meant to be a continual filling of his presence and his spirit. A perfect picture an example of this in Scripture of a person who was completely different and transformed from before baptism of the Holy Spirit to after is Simon Peter. Before Acts chapter 2, Peter is this arrogant, 
prideful, wishy-washy person who uh, tells Jesus, you're not going to die. I won't let you die. I, I will die with you. Or I, you know, if you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. And then he denies him three times later on. He, he shoots his mouth off. He can't, can't hold, control his tongue in any shape or form. So much so that one time that Jesus had to tell him, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you know, this, this guy's all over the place. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, in Acts chapter 2, he receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he's a totally different person. Wishy-washy Peter stands up confident, bold, and preaches the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. He, He becomes the apostle Peter who walks in signs, wonders, and miracles, who leads the early church into all that Jesus had for it. This, this, this guy was completely and radically transformed. You no longer see any testimony or any mark of, of, of Peter struggling with the same things he did before that moment. He was completely a different person and transformed through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus is with his disciples. They've, they've celebrated the Last Supper together, and he's about to go to the cross, and he tells them in John 16, hey guys, listen, it is to your advantage that I die and that I go to heaven to be with the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come. And they're like, how does that make any sense? Jesus, we can't let you leave. We gotta have you with us all the time. Like, how can it be to our advantage that the Holy Spirit would come and that you leave? But Jesus says that I'm sending you the great advantage, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like if... Russell Wilson came and played with the Woodland Beavers football team. It'd be like LeBron James suiting up and putting a Woodland Beavers shirt on and going to play basketball with our team. Like, that's like the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have the great advantage. And he tells them, he tells them, it's to your advantage that I go. And then he dies. He dies on the cross. They're hiding in a room uh, in John chapter 20. They're hiding in a room. There's been reports. There's been rumors that he's raised from the dead. They're afraid. They think they're going to die just like Jesus. And God, or Jesus appears to them in a room that's locked and tells them, peace be with you. And then he says, he says, it breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, to me, that I liken that to salvation. When we receive Jesus in, into our lives as Lord and Savior, we say, Jesus, I'm not going to do my own thing. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to let you lead me. Uh, that's like receiving the Holy Spirit at salvation right there in John chapter 20. And then Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1, hey, you guys need to wait here. I'm going I'm to ascend to heaven. You need to wait here until you receive the gift that I promised you, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be empowered to be my witnesses, and you'll go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I find it amazing how these disciples who had followed Jesus for over three and a half years, had seen the miracles, heard the teaching, been with him face to face, saw the love in him, experienced it for themselves, how Jesus told them, you need to wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. How much more so do you and I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to live like Jesus? We've been given the Great Commission. It wasn't just for the disciples. It's for us to go into all the world to preach the gospel, and these, fi- these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will heal the sick. They'll drive out demons. They'll raise the dead. We need the empowerment, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to actually do what Jesus has told us to do. The Holy Trinity is not Father, Son, Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we're, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism 
of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the early church did not have the New Testament, and I'm thankful that we have it today, but I want the author of the New Testament just as much as I want the Bible. And I need his empowerment to receive grace, to walk in all that he has for me. Last week we talked about pride, and we talked about how God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That grace is a supernatural empowerment to do what you cannot do on your own. When you surrender your life to God and say, Holy Spirit, come and inhabit every area of my being, every empty space, every area that the enemy has left, I need you to come and give me a fresh fire, fresh baptism of your spirit, fresh filling of your spirit. When he does that, you receive a grace to walk in freedom. You receive a grace to walk like Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. 120 people in the upper room receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's like tongues of fire that were on their head. They began to speak in other tongues and other languages. A crowd gathers because they, they, they hear and see the scene of, of like a, a, a sound of a rushing wind that comes. And they hear their own languages and by people speaking them, they shouldn't be able to speak them. And, and they're going, what is going on here? And these people seem drunk. And it's 9 in the morning. And Peter gets up and he says, these people are not drunk as you suppose, but they've been received the gift of the Holy Spirit as it was prophesied in Joel chapter 2, and he begins to preach the gospel. Again, Peter, who, who we talked about earlier, Peter begins to preach the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, powerful, needed, and is real for us today. These same disciples, these same people who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 4, they're gathered together again they, they had gone, uh, Peter and John had gone to the temple. A man who had been crippled for many years gets healed radically and, and, and is leaping around praising God throughout the temple. And a crowd gathers. They preach the gospel again. They get thrown in jail. They get threatened and they get told to no longer to t- talk about Jesus. And they're, they're gathered together in Acts chapter 4 and it says they began to pray. And they said, Lord, consider their threats and enable us to, and give us boldness to go out and to continue to preach your gospel, to continue to tell people about you. And what does it say? It says that the place where they were sitting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. To me, that's an amazing picture because they had already received him in Acts chapter 2. It shows that the Holy Spirit wants to continually fill us, continually pour into us a fresh baptism all the time. There's two main signs that you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One is the gift of tongues. The other is a boldness to live like Jesus and preach the gospel. And we're to receive both of them, I believe. And God has that for us. And this is a way to stay free. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is listing off the armor of God. You're in a fight. You're in a battle. You need to be armed. You need to be ready. You need to to be on guard against the enemy and his schemes. He's listing off all the different aspects of the armor. And at the very end, in verse 18, he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. It's like the glue. It's like the chain mail that puts all the armor together. You gotta gotta pray in the spirit on all occasions. Part of that armor to fight to stay built up in your inner person. If you're focused on Jesus, if your eyes are on him and you're passionate for him, you don't go, uh, time out, Jesus, I'm going to go over here and sin. Right? Christopher talks about that all the time. It's like you wake up and you're focused on Jesus and you're in fire for him, you're in love with him. No one in their right mind would say, okay, Jesus, thanks, we've been having a good time this last couple hours. I need a break. I'm going to go over here and do something really stupid and sin. No one does that. But often our attention, our focus, our gaze is not on Jesus. We lose awareness that he's with us and in us all the time. 
Back to Galatians 5, verse 16. says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh here in this context is not talking about our natural physical bodies. It's talking about a sin nature that Jesus eradicated on the cross. You no longer have to have a sin nature that you are subject to. You are a partaker of the divine nature. You do not have to sin. You can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you walk with the Spirit? For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. You can't do whatever you want. You've been given freedom. You need to follow Jesus. You need to, even though God has set you free, you are not your own. You're bought at a price. You need to surrender your life to him. And it goes on to describe, these are the acts of the flesh. All of this sin, all of this immorality, these are, these are the fruit of the flesh, fruit of the sinful nature. And then it goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and lists off all nine fruits of the Spirit. I, I find it amazing, actually, it says the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit, that they're, they're all one connected together of a life that is fully surrendered and walking in the Holy Spirit. It's the byproduct of a life walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There's this friendship. There's this connectedness. There's this walking together in relationship with God that we are meant to have, walking in step with the Spirit. And when we do that, we're going to stay free. We're going to stay full. We're going to stay focused. We're going to stay on fire for Jesus. As Christians, we use a lot of metaphors. <laughs> Fire, full. What am I talking about? I'm talking about a, a hunger, a passion in your heart and your soul. People are passionate about a lot of things in this world. There's thousands of people gathered all over this nation right now sitting in frigid cold weather to watch a football team. They're passionate for something. Do you have a similar heart, a similar passion for Jesus? Are you willing to do things for him that you would not normally do? Like sit in 30-degree weather cheering for a football team. Or are you more excited? Would you rather be there? More excited about those things. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Another way to word that would be, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. The Holy Spirit is passionate for us. He wants us to be full of his fire, of his passion. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, For this reason, Paul's saying to, to Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not, give us, does not make us timid or does not give us a spirit of fear, but gives us one of power, love, and self-discipline. That power, love, and self-discipline is to empower us and enable us to keep the fire burning. They stay on fire for Jesus. In, in Leviticus, in the Old Testament, God told the, the Old Testament priests to not, to not let the fire on the altar stop burning. Don't let the fire go out. Keep wood on the altar so that the fire is always going. Are we doing that with our own lives? Are we spending time with God? Are we talking to him? It was beautiful how we ended worship today. Are we listening to him? Are we talking to him? Are we spending time in his, in his presence? Are we worshiping him outside of a Sunday morning service? Are, are we spending time in the word and feeding ourselves in him and, and, and meditating on his word and thinking on his word? Are we telling other people about him and loving on other people? All these things keep that fire burning. Are you praying in the spirit? Have you received the gift of tongues? Are you using it to stir up your inner man, to stir up your spirit? Number two point, we actually made it. 
Almost done. Because we're going to have some time for ministry and impartation here. Number two point is discipleship. How do you stay free? You connect with somebody else to help you grow in Jesus. Someone else is going to challenge you, who's going to ask you tough questions. Someone else is going to, to make sure that you're not just not failing, but actually growing in the gift that God has given you. It's not, accountability and discipleship is not an expectation for failure. It's account for your ability. Are you growing? Are you walking in all that God has given you? Are you, are you continuing to grow? I, I encourage you to find someone in your life that you can meet with on a regular basis that will disciple you, that will help you grow in Jesus, that will hold you accountable, that, will, that can ask you the tough questions, that can pour into your life, that can encourage you. Discipleship is meant to be an encouragement. It's not meant to be uh, heavy-handed, but it can be because we, sometimes we need that swift kick into the pants. But you, you give, letting someone pour into your life and opening your life and being vulnerable with somebody and being transparent will help you stay free. It will help you stay free. Connecting with community, where you have people that you share life together with, where you're you're meeting together on a regular basis, and they can look into your eyes, and they can see if you're really doing well. They can see if you're struggling. They can ask you how you're doing, and you can be honest with them, and they can pray with you and encourage you and and share testimonies together. You need community. For the the year 2019, church, community is going to be one of the main things you hear from us, how important it is that as we continue to grow as a church, we we got to grow in our small groups together. we got to grow in community together. We have to spend more time outside of a Sunday morning service together to continue to grow and nurture one another to help us to stay free and walk in what Jesus has for us. It's super vital. It's super important. Are you on fire for Jesus? Do you have a fresh fire for him? Many of you have received freedom from different things. You felt the presence of God move you over these last five weeks that we've been doing this series. God wants you not just to have that as a one-time moment. He wants that to continue in your life. Can you steward your freedom? Are you going to stay successful, stay free? God wants that for you. He wants that for all of us every day. He has a fresh fire, a fresh baptism that he wants to give you today. Many of you, some of you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit years and years and years ago. But you need a fresh baptism today, a fresh filling today. The fire's maybe flickling, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. I'm too, there's been too many F words in this, this message. The good ones, like freedom, Fire, fresh, fire. Is your fire dim? Let's go with a different word. Is your fire out? Do you need a fresh baptism of him today? He wants you to stay free. The enemy is going to come back looking at your house and see if you got a vacancy or no vacancy sign up. If the Holy Spirit has come and filled up all those areas, you got a no vacancy sign up. And he's like, oh, I got no place there. I can't get back in there. They're not listening to these lies anymore. They're not giving into that temptation anymore. Man, we lost that one. Come on. That's what God has for us.